Welcome to Real Review, a podcast to help you decide for yourself if a movie or TV show is worth your time, money, and energy. With Real 1, Zoe will break down the nuts and bolts, minus spoilers, of course. And with Real 2, she'll invite you into a conversation about the narrative, characters, background, and the power of story. Here's Real 2. Zoe here with you for Real 2. And once again, I am leaning upon my other half and one of my favorite guests to have here on the podcast. It's my husband, Sam, because he is the expert that I know of Godzilla. I am not qualified to be considered an expert. I am just a mega fan. True, but in this circumstance, I will call you an expert on the on the matter, uh, at least for this podcast. And so, yes, we have seen Godzilla Minus One came out in 2023, but we saw it at the beginning of 2024. So we were a little late to the party, but what a party to join, I would say. So um, it's no, no shocker, no surprise. We both came away loving the movie, but we wanted to dive a little bit deeper into a discussion about the Godzilla franchise as a whole like what all the movies like how they're different from this one what makes this one stand out and some more interesting information about the Godzilla franchise because as much as I'm not a Godzilla fan like you are Sam I do find it fascinating especially looking at the original Godzilla film which was released in 1954 because of the symbolism and the story of like especially that first film and obviously how we can see the remnants of it in future iterations and then obviously this one in Godzilla minus one but there's a lot of like historical and cultural context and lots of interesting things to gleam from it and the thing that I took away specifically with Godzilla minus one was I felt like it was a movie illustrating the destruction of war from a emotional point of view like the emotional destruction and then also like physical destruction like literally buildings you know being destroyed by Godzilla and like ships being destroyed but then the emotional destruction like the soldiers dealing with like PTSD and the loss of like family members and loved ones and the toll that that can take on a country and so lots of stuff to break into and to dig into with this film but some fun facts um 1954 the first movie that's like 70 years ago because we're in 2024 right now well, yeah. I mean, Minus One was released as the celebration of the 70th anniversary of Godzilla, who is, by the way, the oldest running character in all of cinema across the world. Oldest character that keeps recurring over and over again. Proof that you can, in fact, tell the same story several times in different ways, and it can still be interesting. Well, nothing's new under the sun anyway, so that does but that does hold water. Another fun fact, this film franchise, Godzilla, consists of 38 films. 33 of those films are Japanese films produced and distributed by Toho Studios, and five of them, I'm only shocked it was only five American films? Like, that seems kind of low to me. That's because of Godzilla 1999, which we don't talk about. We don't talk about that one. Okay. Well, I was still surprised it was only five. I don't know why I thought that America made way more Godzilla movies, but it is, it also makes sense because it's very much a Japanese, like, franchise. Well, Toho is incredibly protective of their trademarks, and they were reluctant in the first place to even let 
American studios use Godzilla in the first place. And then when they American studios did finally convince them to let them use the name Godzilla, um, the movie turned out so bad that Toho themselves rebranded the kaiju that had been called Godzilla in the 99 film as Zilla and made it its own independent kaiju because it was so horrifically awful and they refused to put the name of Godzilla onto that monster that's pretty bad (laughs) I think I do know the 1999 version I haven't seen it since I was a kid but yeah yeah you're making faces of absolute disgust so we'll just move on from there um but so that the first one I'm guessing the 1999 one was I think the TriStar Pictures and then the remaining ones are Legendary Pictures and the latest one is being set to release in March 2024 I know you had said Sam that you were excited and looking forward to this one I think he's fighting King Kong or something ridiculous like that no, he fought King Kong in the last one. He's fighting with King Kong against some other unnamed bad guy as of yet. I, I don't know. But it's going to be a spectacle, so there's that. And I'm glad you, you mentioned that, the Godzilla fighting with King Kong to destroy another bad guy, because that brings me to an interesting point of how I noticed in the previous like decade or so, however many years it was in America watching the Godzilla movies, you know, from Legendary Studios, I never liked them, really. I'm just like, ugh, Godzilla, and he's stomping around and destroying things, big whoop-de-doo. But another thing that I had noticed is Godzilla wasn't always the bad guy he was kind of like there was like some sympathies sympathy there was sometimes sympathy leaned towards him like in one of the movies um the girl from stranger things like had an affinity for godzilla and like was i don't know i just remember being like godzilla's my friend or something like that and so like (laughs) godzilla wasn't necessarily the bad guy and you had told me he was kind of like an anti-hero in those movies well Obviously, you're referring to the legendary production, Godzilla King of the Monsters, um, which I have to go ahead and preface the legendary films starring Godzilla and associated monsters. Um, So you have uh, Godzilla 2014, then you have Godzilla King of the Monsters, Kong Skull Island. Now, granted, Kong is an American thing that we own that kind of so he's not toho property but godzilla is but they not the first time that those two have crossed paths and then after kong skull island we had godzilla versus kong now we're getting godzilla x kong and anyway those films were inspired by what was called the showa era of godzilla because yes 70 years is a long time and there are in fact four separate eras of films associated with Godzilla. Uh, They are named after the emperors that were in power or not in power but on the throne of Japan because they didn't really have very much power in the Showa era. Started with the 54 film. Now the 54 film was the original interpretation of Godzilla and that film had Godzilla sort of be a anthropomorphic representation of the atomic bomb. Um, And that film delved into the horrors of such weapons existing and the terror that it could spread and how Japan sort of dealt with the fear of that and moved on from it. And then 
after that, they it was too soon to really tell that story again. And Toho had had this this character, this monster Godzilla that they'd trademarked that was super successful, super well known. So they started making movies with him fighting other monsters and he sort of evolved into a more likable anti-hero-esque character that you started rooting for as he beat up these other bad guys that would show up to try and mess with Japan aliens and monsters out from different regions and whatnot um and so the legendary films are very much inspired by that um and he's kind of he, he for a long time Godzilla was kind of that monster protagonist that was there to beat up other monsters and that was pretty much the movies um there were a couple i think it was in the uh it wasn't the show era which one was it it was uh right the millennium era um oh preface uh the hisei era is the second era um the third era is called the millennium era because emperor hisei was still alive and on the seat so in the millennium era Godzilla kind of turned into the bad guy again for a little bit, but it was, um, oh man, I think that was, uh, yeah, it was the 80s into 90s, so Japan was kind of starting to get its uh, feet underneath it, economically speaking, and so a lot of those movies had the Japanese industrial powerhouse building mechanized monsters in order to combat Godzilla, which is representative of the era of the time. And we get to the Reiwa era, which is 2016 to the present. And Toho waited a very long time to come back to Godzilla and start making films again. Um, And it really shows because they came out with Shin Godzilla, which was a response. It, It was a film about how Japan, the Japanese government responded to the Fukushima nuclear power plant meltdown which that movie is phenomenal. Not only did they take a very different aesthetic approach to Godzilla and made him much more terrifying and disgusting, but the visual effects and the way they, uh, it was just, it was beautiful what they did. And everyone thought that that was going to be like, that was peak. That was peak Godzilla. Everyone was happy about Shin Godzilla. And then for the 70th anniversary, they come out with this, this absolute masterpiece of Minus One. Takashi Yamazaki was the director for Godzilla Minus One, and he decided that he was going to go back to the roots of what Godzilla originated as. And in a period piece set, immediately in the aftermath of World War II, with Japan having just surrendered, being completely on its knees, we get this this story of Japan being at its absolute lowest point with a question of what would happen if they sunk even lower. And so Godzilla shows up to make things that are already terrible even worse. And how the country, and when I say the country, I don't mean the government, because the government was absolutely no help in this film. And so this movie is a reflection of the Japanese people and how they felt at the time. Being willing to admit the failings of their government at the time and recognize where their culture 
as a whole went wrong and to grow from that, learn from their mistakes and together unite to build something greater and fight for the right to live. It's just, it's a beautiful story and it's one of the, it is the greatest Godzilla film ever created and it took 70 years for us to get it but we got it I, I no one thought they'd top the 54 film or Shin Godzilla as far as screenplay is concerned and they went and blew everybody's socks off no less yeah and that's probably one of my favorite things about this movie like like I already stated before I'm not the kind of person that likes seeing monsters fight each other on screen rowling like that does it for you it doesn't do it for me right but this movie is so much more than a monster movie it is like such a human-centered story right like about the the war and what it has done to this young man what's done to the the female lead and of course the orphan that they're taking care of um i probably should have said spoilers at the beginning (laughs) of this but yeah spoilers alert in uh this reel too um but it is such a well-told story and wonderfully reflects, like you mentioned, Japan and where Japan is maybe now reflecting back on things like having kamikaze pilots, which is a big central point in the movie. Like, wow, we made young men go off to die and then we shamed them really bad if they didn't like literally die. Like, that's a pretty rough thing to reckon with. And so they deal with a lot of those themes in this movie. And actually, you'd you'd pointed this out to me and I wanted to share that Godzilla Minus One was actually nominated for Best Visual Effects this year for the Oscars, which I'm happy it got nominated, but I personally think the screenplay should have gotten like, you know, this is Zoe opinion, so of course, you know, it doesn't matter. But in my humble opinion, it is so well written and is such a beautiful telling of a very Japanese story historically, culturally, where the country is at, where the people are at, and it's so beautifully told. Anyway, I'll stop gushing and give you the microphone. Well, as much as I am inclined to agree with you on it should have been nominated for more stuff, um, I completely understand why it got nominated for Best Special Effects because it was a, correct me if I'm wrong, $30 million budget? Sorry, lower, $15 million budget. Okay, so the Marvels had a production budget of 274.8 million dollars which is insane that is a lot of money and Godzilla minus one managed to pull off special effects that would put some Hollywood blockbusters to shame with a fraction of that which just that's incredible like that is some incredible dedication from all of the special effects artists working on that film hats off to the people that worked so hard to make that movie what it was because man oh that should be a wake-up call to hollywood honestly that's it's just i'm speechless i'm speechless at this film Well, then I'll take the mic from you if you're speechless. Uh, We were talking about this earlier today in preparation for this podcast episode, but like I walked out of that theater literally blown away because I hadn't seen a movie that good in a long 
time. Like we we complain all the time about how you know Disney's going uh going downhill and all of the Marvel and the Star Wars and the superhero fatigue and just all of the like sugar coated junk. I feel like we've been served over the past several years in recent memory. And so to come away from a quote unquote low budget, right? I mean, fifty million sounds like a lot, but it's a low budget film. An international film, too, where you're reading subtitles and it's about Godzilla of all things. And it made me cry like three times during the movie. I, I know I'm a sensitive soul, but I, I like the, the catharsis that you get watching the hero go from a kamikaze pilot who was scared to die, which, you know, very relatable. I don't know if I would have been able to do that either, right? Who wants to go fly to their death? But he gets shamed for, for not doing, you know, right by his country. And he's got this PTSD he's living with. He's got the guilt of the people that he didn't save when he could have. Like, he's dealing with all this. And he gets to a place where he thinks he should have died, right? He's got this real bad survivor's guilt. And then for the movie to completely turn where he has a hero's arc where he realizes it's better to fight to live, Instead of like, it's almost cliche to be like, oh, it's, you know, noble for someone to sacrifice themselves, right? That's like the the very cliche, stereotypical, oh, the brave hero for sacrificing themselves for the good of everyone else. And it felt like a twist for him to actually survive. Like, I thought he was going to die. And so the fact that the movie had him survive, proving the point that we don't all need to die. We should be fighting to live. Very, very interesting in a emotional at way to end that character arc. And that was a very beautiful, well-written character arc for the main character of that film. But I can't downplay the visuals and the interpretation, the new the new take on Godzilla as a monster that the director decided to enter the film with. Now, I've been a Godzilla fan for a very long time. I've seen a great many Godzilla films, and his his breath attack has always been... It's called, it's called Atomic Breath, and he shoots radioactive fire laser thing out of his mouth, and that's, that's it, right? Like, in most of the monster films, it does next to nothing to his opponents, and so it's one of those signature moves that is cool the first time and then just becomes completely worthless for the rest of the franchise. And the last film I remember blindsiding me with something so, like a payoff that I never knew that I wanted was Avengers Endgame. When Mjolnir flew to Captain America's hand and I saw that on the big screen when it came out and the whole theater was screaming with excitement when that happened and my jaw was just completely agape and I that's never happened until I saw Godzilla minus one and I saw Godzilla unleash his breath weapon because it l literally caused a nuclear explosion and the way that the special effects handled it the camera angle the the dust the the build-up the suspense the fear and the fact that Godzilla just fired it off into the horizon 
made me go, what is he doing? And then I saw it. The mushroom cloud, the flash of light, the the shock wave rolling over the hillside just completely swept me away it, with the awe of the destruction and the horrific majesty of it all. I, it was, I can't, I just can't. Yeah, and that brings me to a couple points. One being, again, a reflection back on 1954, way back post-World War II, Japan, the state that Japan was in because of Hiroshima, right? Like the bombing that had happened, the mushroom cloud. Like, that is what we are looking back and meditating on. Well, we never see Hiroshima or Nagasaki in the film. Uh, The destruction that we see in the setting before Godzilla shows up is actually Tokyo which I think was a very interesting choice because as much as we remember the Nagasaki and Hiroshima the two nuclear bombs that we dropped we often forget that we napalmed Tokyo we burned Tokyo that whole city was the buildings were made out of wood was suburbs, residential areas. We burned it. And I think that's something that I'm glad Godzilla minus one is not afraid to show. They don't take any time to try and apologize on America's behalf, which this hot take incoming, we weren't the good guys. I'm gonna be honest. As awful as Pearl Harbor was, I'm not going to discredit the tragedy of that event. Our response was horrifically disproportionate. Japan wanted to with Pearl Harbor, they wanted to knock us out of the out of the Pacific arena. Right? They attacked a military base. They wanted to get us out of the area so that we couldn't potentially interfere. Right? They just wanted us to back off. They didn't realize they were poking a sleeping bear. And we didn't back off. No, we came for them. But we didn't just come for their military bases. We didn't come for their outposts on their islands. We went for the home. We went for the mainland. And we started bombing their people. The response was surrender or be completely destroyed. And the fact that we were willing to go that far is scary, which I think Godzilla perfectly represents, is that that disproportionate response, that fear of complete annihilation in the face of a force so beyond human that you can barely comprehend it. Yeah, exactly, and that's like, you know, the symbol of Godzilla, it's a creature born out of like nuclear waste or nuclear atomic power, right? It's a creature born from that destructive power and is also very destructive. Well, in Godzilla Minus One, uh, the film credits the, uh, oh, it was the uh, the Bikini Island testings with irradiating the uh, island spirit Godzilla and turning into the destructive monster that it became. So it was actually, in the film, it was America's fault that Godzilla became what it was, and we didn't even bother to help. 
Yeah, they say in the movie that America's like, it's your problem now. It's, uh, or, you know, which is kind of a, a funny call out. Not funny, ha 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 ha, but like, oh, yes, like America being America sometimes, you know, hot take. Uh, but the thing I wanted to say was the symbolism of Godzilla being this entity that comes in to your land, to your land, into your country, to your home that you cannot stop. Like there's nothing, right? Like it is this giant radiation radiating lizard creature that is out of this world and is so enormous and you see what I really love the movies and I told you this the way that they showed visual scale like with different camera angles that they did where you are low to the ground and you are in it and he is so scary like I had not ever ever watched a Godzilla movie where I was genuinely like afraid like scared because of the way that they portrayed his size his mass and just how he was just destroying everything like you said the nuclear blast I was like that seems too powerful like it should not be that powerful that is insane and so throughout the movie you're dealing with emotional destruction in like, you know, the war's effects, its toll emotionally on the people, on these human characters we're following. But we're also witnessing the devastating physical destruction. And obviously that plays into the emotional distress of our characters. But I think that's what brought me to such an emotional place in the mood for me watching the movie was because unlike in a Marvel movie where you got superheroes flying through skyscrapers and destroying cities and stuff you don't really feel anything right like it's just oh they're just like going through the city it doesn't matter in this movie you watch the destruction of Tokyo you watch the destruction and how it's horribly affecting these these people in this town like it's so like real feeling like you just feel the weight of this destruction and as an American watching this Japanese film I can't imagine what a Japanese person might exactly feel because you know I'm not a Japanese person I haven't grown up with that culture and that history but as an American watching it it is very sobering right to look back on our past and realize that in a way we are the Godzilla or we were that entity which was giant and destructive and came in and laid waste to cities and to people's lives I mean, we always have been. We're the ones that made and used the atomic bomb. And Godzilla is the physical representation of that. And so it's it's something that we should use as a reminder as to why we should never, ever do something like that again. Yeah, and it's also kind of interesting i'll use the word interesting how despite what has happened in the past with america and japan america and japan work together on occasion to make godzilla movies <laughs> like with the recent one coming up now in uh, march but this one obviously was a fully japanese produced movie and i think that's what also lends itself to being the most authentic representation right because of the hand that we americans played literally in or not literally but <laughs> metaphorically symbolically uh in that symbol of godzilla um and i have a note here on how like over the 70 years like all these 38 films of like godzilla being seen in movies they the movies have reflected the social and political climate in japan and so i don't think that you can fully understand godzilla without 
in some way understanding like Japanese culture and like the history behind this character and where he's come from and its origins and the effect that it's had. One thing I will say to speak to your point that Japan and America still collaborate to make these films is something that Godzilla Minus One actually does a very good job of distinguishing is that a country's people are not a country's government. And the government does not always speak for its people. The Japanese people were the ones that defeated Godzilla. It wasn't the government. It wasn't the military. It was the people. And I think that demonstrates a very mature understanding of the circumstances. It wasn't us Americans that dropped the atomic bomb on Japan. It was the American government. It wasn't the Japanese people that refused to surrender in World War II. It was the Japanese government. It was the military leaders. And the film's point of the, a people, a community, standing up together to face the insurmountable when the people that their whole lives have told them, oh, we'll protect you, or we'll provide for you, don't show up in the darkest hour, and you have to stand up for yourself. The the willingness and the bravery to do that, I think, is a very noble one. You know, if everything falls apart and everything goes to ruin and our country completely devolves in the next three days or what have you, and, you know, there's no more America or there's, in in this case, there's no more Japan, right? There might not be a government anymore, but there's still a people. And if there's still a people, then there's still hope. Yeah, you pointed out something, which I'm, I'm really glad you pointed it out, how in the movie, it is the people, not the government, who save themselves in essence, right? Um, which is so true to life. You know, we unfortunately can't depend on those that rule over us. We have to also take care of ourselves and have to fight for what's right and defend people. And in this movie, they were able to defeat Godzilla through the combined effort of those very brave characters in the movie who were like, we can't let this destruction continue. Uh, but yeah, I think that's going to do it for our deep dive, our conversation on Godzilla Minus One and just so much deep uh, historical and cultural. Uh, there's so many things within that movie that make it stand out and is so unique among all of the other Godzilla films. What a beautiful and appropriate, like just a perfect celebration of 70 years of Godzilla, I would say. I think they just knocked it out of the park. And if you, for some reason, listened to this conversation and haven't seen Godzilla Minus One, well, I think even if you're not a monster, kaiju monster movie fan like I was, I think there's a lot of value in this movie. It's worth seeing. And lucky for all of you who haven't seen it yet and might be worried that you've already missed your chance, given that the film released in early December of last year, don't worry. They are, in fact, releasing a black and white version of this film back into theaters here very soon. So be looking forward to that.
Yeah, I know you are looking forward to seeing it in black and white. They called it uh, Godzilla minus one minus color. Is that correct? <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me for this conversation, this real two on Godzilla minus one. And as usual, please let me know what movies you would like us to do a real review on. Thanks for listening. The Real Review Podcast, hosted by Zoe Moody, is a part of the Real FM Podcast Network. You can listen to more Real FM podcasts or Real FM radio on the Real FM app or at real.fm.